The city was founded in 1906, and this city was once a vibrant city. The city of Gary grew in rapid size due to steel jobs with plenty of shopping stores. And if you look at the old pictures, Broadway was amazing. There were so many, many lights. It was the central location for NWI. The city of Gary, nevertheless, has decreased dramatically in its population in aesthetics for a variety of reasons. There are many opinions about this city, but say what they will, we Bethel Gary love this city. And the basis on why we love this city is first because God loves this city. And he has granted us and invited us the opportunity to love this city with him. The Lord has planted us here with a purpose. Bethel Gary, we are just a baby church. We are only three years old. We as a family, under the umbrella of God's grace, have witnessed many spiritual victories. Some of these victories include the purchase of this beautiful facility. We have loved hundreds of children. We have loved hundreds of children, and we have planted hope in many of them. We have been the vessel of hundreds and hundreds of teenagers hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, there is nothing more encouraging than seeing young people come to faith in the gospel. In 2014, God had assured his planting of this church, this campus, as six of those young men walked up to the altar on a Friday night and gave their lives over to Jesus Christ. And God said, I'm for this campus when he did that. We have given kids a safe place to grow and learn through the work of CLC. So many kids are attending our after-school program, and as you heard earlier, attending our summer program, a safe place to play. And I don't know about you, sometimes as a young person, you just want somewhere safe to go, somewhere I can grow and to be loved. We have opened our doors to the city of Gary Freely to host meetings and to promote peace in this city. Family, we might only be three years old, but we have accomplished a lot. But this is not through our own strength that we should not boast at all. But it is only by the grace of God for the sake of his gospel that we have accomplished all that we have accomplished. So you see, Bethel Gary, we cannot quit. These doors must remain open. God is not done, done being glorified through this body of believers. God is not done being glorified through this body of believers. God is not done invading darkness through this body of believers. We have been called by God Almighty. And many of us are wondering... So what's next, Lord? That we have reached this turning point moment. 
what do we do? And how should we conduct ourselves? We know that God has divinely and sovereignly brought us to this turning point. And family, when you reach a turning point in life, no matter how many things you have accomplished, there is still this feeling of, I don't know what to do. However, family, when we don't know what to do, we know what to do because the Bible tells us what to do. We pray and we get on our faces before God. We are not lost as long as Jesus is our king. This is what we will be doing this morning as we seek to figure out, God, what's next for Bethel Gary? As we have reached a turning point, I want to invite you this morning to join me in Acts 13. We'll be camping out there. We'll pitch our tents there this morning. And we will examine what the church of Antioch did is wise a turning point. I think it is good. I think it is fitting. And I think it is wise for us to look at the church of old and say, God, how did your people conduct themselves in moments such as these? When you are at a turning point in your church and you are looking for new direction, what did the church of old do? And as we move forward, let me say this to you. We must, we must, we must choose each of our steps wisely because I know the devil is busy. I know he is looking for someone to devour. I know he wants us divided. I know he wants us out of this city. But God is for us. God has planted us. Therefore, God will keep us. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Therefore, family, I want to encourage you to put on the whole armor of God that we may stand against the schemes of the enemy. So let us turn our attention to Acts chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. And it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menin, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Before we get started, I want to give us a bit of background here. We come to a book this morning that informs us on the continued work of Jesus' ministry after his death and resurrection. The book of Acts uh, uh, records for us Jesus' mission after he dies, after the book of resurrection. So this is after he's walking with his disciples, after his earthly ministry, the book of Acts records the continued work of his apostles. One writer sums this book up this way. The events recorded in this book of Acts are the, uh, I'm sorry, let me say that again. The events recorded in this book are the acts of the ascended Jesus as he marches across the boundaries of nations, of empires, and to the ends of the earth. We see that Jesus sets his church on mission at the very beginning of this book. 
Jesus sets his church on mission at the very beginning of this book. Now, when he sets them on mission, he does not set them on mission alone, but they are accompanied with the power and the presence in the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. When God sends his church on mission, he does not send us alone. He sends us with the Holy Spirit. They were sent with the Holy Spirit. We see this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want you to take note of this verse because it is going to be a key verse as we continue to move forward this morning. The book of Acts tells the story of God's saving work in history, in the history of his church changing lives on the basis of what? On the basis of what Jesus Christ had accomplished in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. And through that, Jesus births the church of courage and passion for the mission of God. So when Jesus dies and he rises again and he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he sets his church on mission and he births a, a church that is full of passion and who is courageous and ready to go on mission for the glory of God. But our focus, our focus today will be the church of Antioch. The church of Antioch is a very critical part of our church history. The church of Antioch was the third, the, the, the city of Antioch was the third or fourth largest city in the Roman Empire. With an estimated population of a half a million, the city lay inland, but within a few miles was the port of Seleucia, the gateway to the Mediterranean Sea. The church of Antioch existed in a very lively, very vibrant city. And this church will have more impact on the course and expansion of the church than the church in Jerusalem and all the apostles that walk with Jesus. I want you to feel the weight of this church in Antioch. They would have more impact than the church in Jerusalem and all of the apostles their walk with Jesus, this church that we're studying today. They had massive impact, blessing on the mission of God. But before they would be a blessing to the entire world, they had reached a turning point first. So before they would go out into the rest of the world, they would reach a turning point. And this is what I want us to examine this morning. How did they conduct themselves? What did they do, and most importantly, what did God do during their turning point? A few. The first helpful for us this morning, so let us dive into this text. The first observation that I see is that the leaders gathered. The leaders gathered. The first observation is the leaders gathered. We see this in the first part of the verse. Take a look at it. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menin, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. I likely said all those names wrong, so don't hold that <laughs> to me, but it was my best shot. And I said, if I go up here and I just flow, no one would know. <laughs> but some of you were looking like, he's not saying those names right. <laughs> few things to note here. We likely have three prophets and two teachers. The three prophets are Simon, Menin, and Lucius. 
See, I said his name differently that time. And teachers, and the teachers are Barnabas and Saul. Now I'll tell you, if you're going to have prophets, you got to have teachers to anchor those prophets out. Because if you haven't had some prophecy around, you want some teachers to anchor you back in the word. It's a lot of, lot, lot of people say, yeah, I heard from God. I heard, I, I, you need some teachers to, to, really, to really submit them to the text. Want to be submitted to the text, all right? And as you can see, he mentioned Saul. Saul has yet to become Paul. He's yet to, to convert his name to Paul yet. That has yet to happen. As we know, Paul will pen most of the New Testament. Most of the New Testament is penned by Paul. And I say that so you can see how massive and how weighty and how important this church is. They also mention Barnabas. As you know, Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement. He was one of those dudes, if you hung around him long enough, you just left happy. He was just one of those dudes that made you feel good. You're right. Anybody got some Barnabas in their life? You just go for him for a word of encouragement. I'll tell you, I need a lot of Barnabases right now that can encourage you and remind you of the goodness of God. And Barnabas would have a huge impact on the gospel mission. And they are gathered together, Barnabas and on their heart, and Saul with other leaders, they are gathered together with this question on their heart. What's next, Lord? What will you have us to do next? The reason I believe they have this on their hearts is because they are fasting, and this signifies there is an urgent need. And then how the Holy Spirit responds to their prayers. So those are the two reasons I come to that conclusion that they're asking, what's next, Lord? Each church at some point will have a moment such as this. And indeed, I believe, Bethel Gary, we have reached this moment where we ask, what's next, Lord? We ask that question in the midst of pain because he is still our Lord and we still serve him. What next, Lord? No matter what we're going through, what next, Lord? Here I am. Send me, Lord. How many people in the room have been through something? And you may have been limping your way along. But somehow, by the power of the During this moment, this point, the Bible is clear on who gathered the leaders. Usually when God moves, he first moves through leaders. God has ordained that his church be guided by flawed, depraved, and redeemed leaders. God has ordained that. They are to give direction to the people. That's why they are called leaders. We as leaders are not to be led in our strength, but we are to be led by this book and to be illuminated by the Holy Spirit. There is no one in this room that is not subject to this book. We are all submitted to the word of God. Now, God doesn't always go first through leaders. He doesn't always do that. But biblically and historically, he usually does. So I'm asking you believers to be in prayer as well because you are his people. 
You are a royal priesthood. Therefore, you have access to your Father in heaven through the God-man, Jesus Christ. Let me be clear here. You do not have access to God through your elders. You have access to God through Jesus Christ. That's who you have access through. But in this text, we are going to see later that God revealed his plan to the leaders. So I have asked your leaders of this campus, that is your campus elders, to gather with me. I asked them to set aside time for the next five Wednesdays to gather with me. And we are going to walk through the book of Ephesians during that time, and we are going to pray for this church. I believe that we as leaders, it is incumbent upon us to do so. It is crystal clear in the text that they didn't just gather. These leaders didn't just gather to discuss church business. This is not why they are gathering. Instead, the text shows us that they gathered to turn their faces to God. This is why they're gathering. They're gathering to bury their faces before God. And there come moments, and we should do this every day, bury our faces before God. If we know how sinful and how broken we are, we'll bury our face every day in prayer. So my second observation is the leaders of the church turn their faces to God. When the leaders of Antioch decided to meet, they realized they needed God. We as leaders all realized they needed God. And old Bethel Gary, I pray that we as leaders always recognize we need God. You take God out of any church leadership equation and you have trouble. You take God out of any church leadership and we have trouble. When they gathered, they did two things according to verse 2. Look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord in fasting... Church, if you want to hear from the Lord, you worship him through prayer and devotion to his word. The Bible is crystal clear that God hears the prayers of his people. And you all are priests. Yes, Jesus has purchased you full access to the Father. And why would anyone turn that down? Why would you turn an opportunity to talk to the Lord of the universe? Who does that? you got to be a fool to turn that down. God says, you come talk to me, and you say, no, I'm good. I'm good. Who does? I, I, I wouldn't do that. A lot of us say, well, you know, if God would just, 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 just come before me right now, and, and I wouldn't turn it down. He's giving you this book for you to hear and to listen to him. And why would we turn that down? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything, everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace, church, we often forfeit. And oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We see they are not just worshiping God. But they are fasting. A few things to understand about fasting so we can get the urgency of this turning point at the church of Antioch. The church of old, they are not fasting out of tradition. They are not fasting because they have to. 
But one writer says, rather they sense a particular need. Deliberation in special focus and attention. One that must be addressed with deliberation and urgency. Fasting is a way of saying, we need you, God, explanation mark. That's what fasting does. We need you more than food. We need you more than our jobs. We need you more than anything. We need you, God, explanation mark. And these leaders are hungry to hear from the Lord. They know where their tower of refuge is. They know who their head lifter is. They know who the satisfier of their soul is. They know who their comforter is. You see, when you're going through things, you have to know that you know that you know that you know who your God is. And these leaders know where their help comes from. And if you don't know who your God is in trials and tribulations, you'll be tempted to turn to everything and everyone for answers instead of God. But when you know the one who has died for you, and by that displaying his love, when you know the one who has rose on your behalf, you know who to, who to run to, church. You run to Jesus. When you reach a turning point, we can't help but say, our flesh may fail us, our hearts may fail us, but God is the strength of our hearts, and he is our portion forever. Whom have we in heaven but him? Whom do we desire besides him? During this turning point, I want to encourage us as we pray that our prayers would be, God, give us a greater appetite for you. Give us a greater desire for you. And on that note, I have asked your leaders not only to gather with me, but I have asked them to worship and fast with me during our time of gathering. It is incumbent upon us to stretch out before God and say, we desire you. We desire you more than our daily food. Because the way that I feel is I feel like Moses. If you don't go before us, don't send us. God, if you are not going to accompany us, do not send us. We need you more than anyone else. If no one else goes with us, I know that God Almighty must go with us. Because we need the one who spoke the world into existence. We need the one who forms man out of dust. We need the one who upholds the universe with the power of his word. With his word, he holds the universe together. And we need the one who raises the dead. Here's the bottom line, church. We need God. And I want you to know during our time of prayer, and I want you to hear me on this. During our time of prayer, each of you will be on our hearts. And we will be praying for you because we love you. You got my word on that. That the elders of this campus, we will be praying for you and taking you before the chief shepherd. We want to help the weak and encourage the faint-hearted. And I want you all to know we are here for you. 
Our doors are open, and we want to commune with you. And I want to make one thing clear, if I haven't yet to make it clear already. If anyone is feeling, can I talk to Dexter? I want you to know that, yes, you can. You can talk to me. My door is open. As we examine this text and the leaders, I believe there was a huge burden for the great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the heart of these believers was the mission of the gospel. They had a strong desire to see the gospel move. Why? Because their hearts were burdened for the loss. Lost souls ought to drive us to prayer, and prayer ought to drive us to mission. Lost souls ought to drive us to prayer, and prayer ought to drive us to mission. We will never see victory in mission until we see ourselves on our knees. Our battle begins first on our knees. So in our time of prayer, we will bring the burden of the city in Northwest Indiana before the Lord. As we know, our mission statement here at Bethel is, Bethel Church exists to multiply disciples through multiple sites and multiple partnerships. So our question in prayer will be, in this next chapter, how would you have this campus accomplish that, multiply disciples? We want to be a friend to this city so we might be a hope to this city. We, Bethel Gary, want to come alongside this city, and we want to be a friend to it. But our end goal is not to be just friends. Our end goal is to see disciples. That is our purpose. I was so encouraged uh, this Friday, as I said before, as we gather in the Horace Mann area right behind this building, not even a mile away, as we gather together um, in a joyous in a joyous occasion, and just so many people were just coming out and sitting at the table and eating food, and, and I got to know some moms I never seen. I thought I met all the kids, and I found out that there was more kids. If there's one thing you're going to find, you're going to find some kids, and there were a lot of kids out there. And so we got an opportunity to meet so, so many kids. And all I kept thinking was, Lord, how do we reach them? How do we love them better? How do we do that, God? Because out there, we're lost people. Bethel Gary, we have a work to do, and it's right around the corner from us. You know there's people that don't know this church exists. They're right around the corner from us. When they turn their faces to God, we analyze that God spoke to them. When the leaders gathered together and they fasted and they worshiped, God spoke to the leaders. That's my third observation, is that God revealed his plan to them. He revealed it to them. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. God spoke to the leaders of Antioch during their turning point, and they were not watching TV. They were not on Facebook. They were not on Twitter. They were not looking in magazines. They were, they were focused on God. They were not looking at BET Awards show. That's not what they were doing. They were intently focused on God. Amen. They weren't watching YouTube videos. 
It wasn't in the newspaper. They were listening for God. These leaders were not distracted. They were intentionally focused on God intensely. It appears they were seeking direction from the Lord, as I said before. We can't prove that immediately by the text, but from the fasting and the word of the Holy Spirit, it gives strong indication that that's the case. The Holy Spirit spoke, and what did he say to them? What did the, when God speaks, you, you, you ought to listen. What did he say to them? He said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them. God knew what was going on before they prayed. God knew what he wanted to do. God was not lost. He was not scrambling around in heaven and saying, oh, what am I going to do with the church of Antioch? God knew what he was going to do. That's why they're praying to him, because he knows. They don't know he knows. Right? You don't go to pray and tell God what to do. You, tell, you, you get on your face and you humble yourself before him so he can tell you what to do. Right? The Holy Spirit spoke. The leaders did not know what was next or what was coming, but God did. God is never, 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 never lost. Ever. And if he's not lost, we're not lost. If God is not lost, we are not lost, church. Because God is never lost lost. There is not one atom in the universe that God is not in control of. There is not one situation. There is not one circumstance. There is nothing that is outside of his jurisdiction. Everything is submitted to him. For from him and to him are what? All things. All things are to him and from him. All things. Now watch very carefully. The Holy Spirit called out Barnabas and Paul for the work he called them to. Before the foundation of the world, God had called these two men for the work he had called them for. So this is what is Barnabas and Paul to. The leaders are fasting the world. So this is what is getting ready to happen in this moment. The leaders are fasting, they are praying, the Holy Spirit speaks, and he says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And God is getting ready to change the world through these two men. You think in that prayer meeting they knew that? They didn't have a clue. They didn't have a clue what God was getting ready to do. But God was getting ready to change the course of humanity through these two men. He said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And these two men did amazing things all throughout the New Testament. You read the New Testament, you can't read the New Testament without seeing Paul and Barnabas. They were huge in the early church. And I want you to note that they are coming from the church of Antioch. They are leaders at the church of Antioch. God is getting ready to use them to change the world, and they're coming from this church. When God spoke to these men, he spoke according to his word. We know this because of the mission he puts them on. God will never, never, never speak contrary to his word. 
So if you come to me and say, hey, Dex, God told me something, I'm going to say, what did he tell you? What did, what? You say what? You say what? Amen. And if it's contrary to this, you know who gets my vote? The Bible gets my vote, and you don't. You just don't get my vote. Get, the word gets my vote. Because this right here has stood the test of time over and over and over and over again. You got some of the most brilliant minds in our society trying to shoot this book down, and it just keeps standing and standing and standing and standing and standing. God will never contradict his word. So know that we're always going to side with the Bible. Don't take it personal. We just trust the Bible more than you. It's okay. Okay. So when the Holy Spirit called these two men out, what did he have in mind? When God spoke to these leaders, what did he have in mind? This is, this is part of reading the Bible, right? You pause it. God, what do you, what do you have in mind here that you would invade a prayer meeting? What do you, what's, what's going on in your, in your eternal mind? He says, the work I have set them out for. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit had in mind the words of the second person of the Trinity when he spoke in this meeting. When Jesus commissioned his church and he said, you will be my, that's a promise. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria. And so what the Holy Spirit is getting ready to do is he's getting ready to move this thing out of Jerusalem, out of Judea, out of Samaria, and into the ends of the earth. That's what he's getting ready to do with these two dudes. God keeps his word. The Trinity always moves as one. They're unified. The Holy Spirit comes to make much of Jesus. That's why he shows up. If anybody asks, what's the Holy Spirit's purpose? It makes much of the Son. That's what Jesus said in John 16. God desired for his gospel to move to all people. If you want to know what God is up to, God is on mission to save people. That's what he's on mission to do. That's why you're saved, because God was on mission. If God was on mission, no one would, would be able to accomplish this monumental mission before us. He is on mission to spread a fame and a passion for Jesus through the gospel. God is on mission to spread a passion in this world through the gospel for Jesus Christ. We are not just witnesses, but witnesses with power. We are witnesses with power. Uh, a lot of people kind of sit still and, and we wait to get on mission like we're waiting on some goosebumps or something to happen. When Jesus told you to go, that's, that's when you were supposed to go. Like, did you? It's kind of like the person, did you not hear the gun go off? Did you, you, didn't, you didn't hear that? All the rest of us heard it. We're going. I don't know what you're doing sitting in the church. We're out here. We're on mission. What are, you know, what are you doing? When Jesus said go, that's when we were supposed to, to go into the world, and he sends us with power. And I'm going to tell you, 
I've had moments when I've been scared out of my pants to witness. But when you open your mouth, God shows up. And he gives you this courage that makes you as bold as a lion. And you can't explain it. You can't articulate it. But something, something by the grace of God has allowed me to speak to my coworkers and my friends. And when you're done with the conversation, you walk away like a wimp again and you say, I don't know where that came from. That wasn't me. That was not me. Here's a promise to you, Bethel Gary. I promise you, we will always have power as long as we are championing this message, the gospel. God sends his son into this dark world. Really God, really man, full of life, radiant and divine light. He lives a perfect life. He fulfills the whole law. He dies in the place of sinners as ordained by the Father. Absorbs all the wrath of God for all those he for him. And he forgives all of our sins, every last one of them, to the, doubt, to the drop. He forgives them all and takes away all of our guilt and frees our conscience. And he rose from the dead, triumphant over death, hell, and Satan, and ascends and rules with infinite power on high. We'll come again and give eternal life to all those who believe in him. That's the gospel. And if we remain faithful to that, we'll always have power. Because that is the power is to spread the gospel. And God wants that message to spread. When he calls Barnabas and Saul, he wants that message to go beyond Jerusalem, beyond Judea, and beyond Samaria. God wants his gospel to go to the ends of the world, and it will be done. And it is not dependent on no one in this room. It will happen. No one is going to stop the mission of God. Not Bethel, not the Illuminati, not your favorite rapper. No one is going to stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen. We can all drop dead today and it is still going to go forward. So I don't care how cute you are. I don't care how nice your hair is. I don't care what heels you got on. The gospel is not contingent on you. And I'm going to tell you, I'm glad the gospel is not contingent on us and especially not me. The work will get done. The gospel will spread. And as Barnabas and Saul goes out, the gospel is no longer just in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. The greatest missionary breakthrough in the history of the world was done through Saul and Barnabas. And they will launch the Christian movement into Asia Minor, and Paul will carry it into Europe. Today, there are over 2 billion people that fly under the banner of Christianity, and it started in a prayer meeting. Over two billion people. The leaders did not know that God was going to do all of that. However, it all started by a couple people saying we're going to get together and we're going to put our faces before God and see what God would do, and God did things far beyond they have ever dreamed. There would be no greater joy for us, church, than to be part of God redeeming lost people. 
there will be no greater joy for us than to be part of God redeeming lost people. I recall the joy in the heart of this body of believers when that 95-year-old man back there got baptized. I recall that. I recall the joy that erupted in this building as six young men went down. There is no greater how this place erupted with joy. There is no greater joy than to witness people coming out of darkness. There is no greater joy than seeing the chains of slavery broken off. The chains of addiction, the chains of guilt, the chains of confusion, the chains of hurt from fatherlessness, the chains of abuse, the chains of addiction. There is no greater joy, church, than to be a vessel, to be a part of what God is doing. I don't know about you, but there's nothing else that I'd rather be a part of than the grace of God on move in a city and in a people. God is doing something at Bethel Gary, and I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of that work. I want to be a part of God's restoration. I want to be a part of that broken mom coming to Jesus. I want to be a part of that gangbanger coming to Jesus. I want to be a part of that city councilman coming to Jesus. Because I believe that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we have think I ever wished. So we say, Father, use us. Father, use us. Lord, open up doors we have yet to dream of. There's doors still to be opened in this city, and I'm not talking physical doors. I'm talking spiritual doors, doors that lead to salvation. We want Jesus to be made much of. And we know that the only way that happens is hearts have to be changed and transformed by the gospel. Nobody worships Jesus without the gospel. No one. Bethel Gary, who knows what God has designed for this church to do? And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of whatever he's doing. God wants a relationship with people. How many people know that God wants a relationship with people? God God wants a relationship. God doesn't want religion. God wants a relationship with people. I'm so glad that we serve a God that wants a relationship with us. He's not not distant off in the distance, but he wants a relationship with people. And we, the church, we have the answer to it. We have it. I have one last observation of this church. Is that they were obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We see this in verse 3. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This was, understand, although they heard the voice of God, this was not easy for them to do, to send Barnabas and Paul off. I mean, it's not easy to send your A players off. I'm just saying, it is not easy to do that. There's a lot of emotion going on here. But nevertheless, they are obedient. F.F. Bruce says this in his commentary. The two men 
who, who were to be released for what, what should nowadays called missionary services overseas were the two most eminent and most gifted leaders in the church. But nevertheless, they obey God. Church, you can never, ever go wrong obeying God. One, one old preacher says this, obey God and leave the consequences to him. Obey God and leave the consequences to him. I am so glad that the church of Antioch was obedient to God because all of you are reaping the benefit of it. Amen. Your salvation begins at this prayer meeting when God sends Barnabas and Paul out and it begins to move through the Gentile community. So a lot of us, the reason why we're saved is because it started here. It started here. Nevertheless, they obey God, and we see the fruit of their ministry. So here it is. The church of Antioch lays hands on Barnabas and Saul. They're obedient. They send them out. And then you look in Acts 14, and you see what God did through them. Acts 14, 26 through 27 records the fruit of their obedience. It says, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas were sent out, and when they came back, they got the church together and said, hey, we want everybody to get together. We're going to call this meeting. We want to proclaim to you all that God had done before them, and namely that God had opened up doors of salvation. They didn't say that God gave us a bunch of money or God, or, or God did all these physical things. They said that God opened up doors of salvation. That is what should stir our hearts more than anything, that God is opening up doors of of salvation. Paul and Barnabas went in power because God always goes with his mission. He doesn't go with our mission. He goes with his mission. And his mission is the gospel. You go out there and do your own mission if you want to. I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you. But God is faithful to his mission. And when we are faithful to the work of the gospel, God will produce fruit. Therefore, may we all, Bethel Gary, during and beyond this turning point, let us walk in love, in humility, among one another. I pray that we would be united in this season. I pray that brothers would lift each other's heads and carry one another's burdens. I pray that we would speak words of encouragement, would teach and admonish one another in all wisdom in singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And I pray that whatever we do in word or in deed, whether it's in the kids' ministry with Angie and all those who serve under her, whether it's first impressions, whether you're greeting and ushering and all those who serve in that ministry, whether it's the young adults and all those who attend that ministry, whether it's CLC and all those who serve under Ken Berry, whether it's the dance ministry and all those who dance unto our Lord under the leadership of Nicole and all those who are under Sophia in the women's ministry and all those who are campus elders and all those who are deacons or if you're just being a brother and a sister in the Lord, my prayer is that the entire body of believers here would do everything to the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, the Father, 
Father, through him for all things. And that is my prayer, church. And when we humble ourselves in prayer and find ourselves dependent on God, I believe God will reveal more of his glory through his son to us. And this I can promise you, Bethel Gary, if we remain faithful to the great commission of Jesus Christ, that is making disciples through and by the power of the gospel, God, mark me on this, God will give us the grace we need and he will supply all of our needs if we are faithful to his mission. So although I feel the weight of this role and the pain of his people in the unknown future, I have held to unshakable promises, to blood-bought promises. And the reason I'm going to say these back-to-back It's because one says, God is able, and the other one says, God will. And I love the ables and the wills of the Bible. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having the sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God is able, church, but not only is he able, he will, according to Philippians 4, 19. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will supply every need, every need of this church, God Almighty says so. So you can bank on it. You can take it to the bank and it will not bounce. God will supply. And God will give grace because he loves us. Amen. Let's pray.